Hi, I'm Alex L., and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Join us as we journey through sharing together. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hi, Riley. How are you? I'm well. How about you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I'm excited to chat with you. I feel like this feels really aligned. I know. I am truly honored. And I agree. I love that we have the April connection. She's one of my best friends. And I've got your book in my uh, little office studio sitting on my desk. So yeah, you're with me through voice and, and right there visually too. Mm, that makes me feel so good. So before we dive into our conversation, please let the Hey Girl listeners know who you are and what you do. My name is Riley Reed. My pronouns are she, her. I run a content and creative studio called Woke Beauty. I am first and foremost a socially conscious storyteller, a photographer, a writer, and a lover of many things. Through my creative studio, I work to disrupt the photography industry and to galvanize women into taking up space and claiming their own agency so that they can better understand themselves and step into their truest form. First of all, thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> we need that. So talk me through why you decided that woke beauty needed to be in the world and what was kind of the creative tipping point for you to expand into this. Yeah, absolutely. So I believe that photographs are a physical form of legacy, and I think words can build history. They take the images further. And I came to that realization more recently, but, you know, just growing up in the world in many different places and spending a lot of time around, you know, a multitude of cultures and people, I was highly attuned to the insecurity around standing in front of the camera. And especially in college, I studied sociology and fine art, and I found that there was a transcendental moment that happened when the photographer got to know the person in front of the camera instead of just whipping out a camera and pointing it at a person, which can honestly be rather aggressive and assuming. Instead, giving that person space to show up in whatever form of communication feels most comfortable to them and and then photographing them. I think the camera becomes less important and it becomes more about human connection. And I think that that is crucial to taking a photograph that truly represents a person's essence. And so that's really the core reason why I do what I do through photography. And for me, the pivotal moment in regards to woke beauty was actually around my mental health. It was kind of in part a multitude of things kind of like colliding at once. And it was in part really an existential crisis around my career, unsure in what direction to move, how I could actually build revenue and have more of a footing and feel more grounded in my art while also like fulfilling my passion and doing what, you know, I felt I was called to do, which was to use photography as a vehicle. And so I really, at that point in time, which was 
about four or five years ago, I studied why I initially even found photography enticing as an art form and how I could use it to make the world better while also healing parts of myself. And so the fact that, you know, the photography I do has social impact and is in large part a form of therapy, a form of psychology, I think it's really interesting that it also has addressed my own mental health and really in many ways, like incited me to grow as a human. And so, I mean, to be more specific, I was diagnosed with bipolar two in the fall of 2017 and about six months later, Woke Beauty was born. And so I think that there was a really beautiful epiphany that happened and that guided me into using photography for better, using photography to help people feel better and to therefore help myself feel better too. curious to know if photography serves as a mirror, like the subjects who are in front of your lens, how you're able to see yourself through them. I've heard a lot of my photographer friends kind of speak to that sentiment. And as someone who does photography for a hobby, I often find myself looking for myself within whatever I'm capturing. Have you found that to happen? And if so, how has that tapped you to do deeper healing work? Mm, That's really deep. Well, I practice self-portraiture as well. So that brings up that form of of really, I consider it an exercise and a practice, a form of self-care. But I, I do, I do agree. I think when we're really spending time with anyone in order for us to build connection in large part we have to find commonality and i think no matter our differences there are always elements about ourselves that are similar or that do have a thread you know like a continual thread you know that's partly why we ask each other where are you from you know or what are your favorite things to do which we're searching you know And so I think there is, you know, a healthy projection that can happen. And I think that, you know, in order to transform that through imagery, it does require curiosity. And I think oftentimes curiosity is the bridge to better understanding one another's differences. And so while I do see that, I do see how it can act as a form of a mirror, meaning photography can. I also think in some ways, it can act as a form of challenging one to reconsider their identity. Oftentimes, like when I work with people, I'll ask them to define a rite of passage because within a session, once the camera you know, turns on them, they feel really self-conscious and they tend to pick apart the way they look or the way that they posture themselves. And so I'll guide them through a brief meditation of, you know, resonate on why you're here today. What is the purpose of you being photographed? And so I try to act as more of a guide, you know, and make it more of a selfless act. You know, how can we center the human, you know? And so while like I do, I do think that commonality is really important. My aim is to make it as little about myself as possible. 
the way I find myself and the way I like use the mirror is through self-portraiture. That very much is, I'm searching for sure in that process. And that's kind of where I can get, you know, I can like center myself and get that care that I need. But I really see my work with, with clients, especially as a form of therapy. And so I'm out of the picture as much as possible, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because I do think a big part of our self-care is community care, right? And hearing you talk about holding space and stepping aside and guiding people through this meditation of self-reflection is so beautiful. And I don't think I've ever heard a photographer <laughs> say that they do that. And I just think that allows people to feel seen and held in ways in which we normally are not as we move through the world, um, which makes that image or whatever images of them, I'm sure even that much more special and sacred to be able to have that full experience with you and then in turn with themselves. So that's really beautiful. Let's talk mental health. Not many people talk about walking through the world with bipolar too. And so I would love to hear more about that, what that is and how you are living with it. Yeah, absolutely. In part, I felt so uncomfortable sharing that part of myself because it is so rarely discussed. Bipolar disorder in general, whether it's one, two, or, you know, the sort of interchangeable, faster, rhythmic form of bipolar, you know, it's just <laughs> filled with stigma and misunderstanding and charged words that can really, you know, create silos. And so by sharing my disorder, I'm really seeking to not just disrupt, but to grant people agency to, you know, say, hey, like I can be human. I can thrive. I can also not thrive, <laughs> um, but I can be open and honest and you don't have to be that way. That doesn't have to be your story, but hopefully what I have to say will compel you to consider how bipolar, how any mental health disorder might play a part in your place on earth. And how it might not, you know, it, it does not have to define you. Labels are just that, you know, labels. But, you know, for me, finding out that I struggle with bipolar 2 in large part helped me better understand why I feel the way I feel. Bipolar 2 is a mood disorder. It is not a personality disorder. It does not uh, dictate behavior. Generally, the behavior is um, a consequence of the mood, you know, so people will say that people that struggle with bipolar are crazy, or they jump off of buildings, or they're manic, or they're wild, they're disruptive, they're abusive, but generally the behavior is a result of the feeling. So if someone feels mania, if they're experiencing mania, that might compel them to fly halfway across the world because they think they can, even though their bank account cannot. And so that's why someone might go bankrupt. Someone might cause a family to, to separate because, you know, they are reacting to the way that they feel. And so really making that clear that bipolar is not an adjective. It is a noun. Bipolar disorder is something that people live with is really important to me. 
and it's a great part of identity. I think that identity is like self-defined and that we get to choose how we consider ourselves. And oftentimes disorders can swallow identity. And I find that really problematic. And so I actually did not come out publicly about my my bipolar disorder until early February. (laughs) So this is, you know, new for me, but it feels in such alignment because it's just such a huge part of my work. And I think my purpose here in our society. So I feel honored to have the space to share and, you know, just grateful that I can use creativity, I can use my words, I can use connection to better explain my experience and how that experience might be universally felt. for that truly thank you and having you talk about it so clearly I think is really going to resonate with a lot of people I had a family member who had bipolar disorder and it was intense and also I was so young I didn't understand what was going on and so to hear people talk about it and you speaking about it now offers this sense of of clarity and wisdom that we just, a lot of folks don't have absolutely and don't have access to. So that brings me to my next point, which is what do you want people to learn when it comes to not only bipolar, but mental health in general, like loving people with mental health challenges. I myself have OCD, anxiety, and depression, and so does my oldest, the same, the same thing. And so I'm curious to know how you've how you're able to educate those, especially those around you who you love and who love you about how to connect with you and also what they need to learn about mental illness on all fronts, you know? Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I would tell you historically, I have had this tendency to be defensive. And I mean, being defensive is really just a feeling a need to be protective of yourself. And I think as Black women living in our society, it's only understandable why that might be represented in a lot of us. And something my dad has taught me is that by practicing defensiveness, I'm saying, oh, you know, the way I feel, the way I think, it's invalidated. But if I can lean into not feeling this need to defend myself, then I am claiming that I am right in how I feel and I am right in how I speak. And further, that there really is no right or wrong. There's only one's lived experience. And so what I'm saying is that I really truly believe that reality is based on our perspective, that we determine how we see our lives. If we feel sad and we judge that sadness, we're absolutely right. If we think that we are down in the pits and everything is doomed, we're absolutely right. And so I think empowering oneself to take control over the health of one's mind, which is what mental health is, is so important. 
And I think even if you are diagnosed with a mental health disorder, even if you do struggle with the health of your mind, that doesn't mean that you are a bad person. That doesn't mean that you are any weaker than anyone else. We all have the health of the mind. We all have mental health, every single one of us. And we will all have rough days. We will all experience some form of anxiety, even if we are not clinically anxious. And so there is no one lesser person than the next. And I think that is like the key, that perspective determines reality. The way we think of ourselves is so powerful and it can have a ripple effect. And so that's really, that ideology is at the core of what I hope people can better understand. And when talking to the people around me who might not have full understanding of what I struggle with, it's again, approaching that with curiosity and patience and understanding that oftentimes when someone doesn't struggle with what you struggle with, it's understandable why they may not have as much insight or as much experience. And, you know, they deserve loving kindness, unless of course they're cruel. <laughs> That's a different situation. But even still approaching that with curiosity is so important. You don't know where that comes from until you ask. And so I really, really strive to not stand from a place of defensiveness and rather to come forth with questioning more why, you know, more why does this person think this way? Why might they make that judgment or that assumption? And then, hey, this is the reality. This is how it's really gone down. And I think with, with bipolar disorder, again, really clarifying that it is about mood. It is about feeling and less about behavior. And that if the mood can be addressed, then the behavior can be corrected. And one thing I also want to make clear with bipolar too is that it's marked by hypomania and depression. Hypomania is a lesser form of mania. It's actually generally marked by elation. And a lot of creative people historically have actually suffered with it, which is in part why they can make these grandiose projects and write these crazy, long, incredible books and do all these wonderful things because they feel like they can run a marathon when hypomanic. But the problem with it is that, of course, what goes up must come down. And generally, people go in for the depression because it's just, as you know, so difficult and foggy and heavy. So that was long-winded and I have a lot to say, but I think just to wrap it up, the biggest thing is that perspective determines reality. No matter what you suffer with, you have control. Like you have the capacity to feel better, to do better, to be better. It's all up to you. As we bring our chat to a close, which this has been so wonderful, I'm curious to know what if you were mentoring your younger self, what would you teach her? Such a good question. I would teach her that the best form of perspective is a bird's eye view. That generally what's right in front of you is just a moment. It's just a glimpse. And there is so much left ahead. And most of it is completely unknown. And so whatever you imagine, whatever you conjure up, that lives in your mind. And that thoughts are just like birds flying up ahead. You can choose whether they land or not. And that ideally the ones that land are to your benefit because that benefit can affect not only you and your happiness, but also those around you. 
Thanks for listening to the show today. Please rate, subscribe, and review. Also, feel free to share with a friend. We love having our community grow. Music is by DC's own Kokai. The Hey Girl podcast is produced by Wayne Bertram and me, Alex L.